0: team at CTS. This is the train ride podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm coach Hillary Allen, your host for the running edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of running to bring you actionable training tips you can apply to your training. Make sure to also listen to our cycling edition of the show with my co-host coach Adam Pulford which alternates weekly with these running episodes. Now let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right.
1: This episode of the train right podcast is brought to you by the CTS train right membership. The train right membership helps you get the most out of your limited training time so that you can improve your performance and achieve your athletic goals. With the membership, you get access to science-based training plans, an 800-plus workout library, and an app to track your progress, along with advice from professional coaches via an online private form. Go to trainwrite.com backslash membership to learn where to start and use code TRAINWRITE for a free 14-day trial. Again, that's code TRAINWRITE in all capital letters for a free 14-day trial.
0: Hi, and welcome to the Train Right Podcast. Today's guest, we have Dr. Teddy Ross. Dr. Teddy Ross is a third-year family medicine resident with training focused on sports, wilderness, and integrative medicine. He, he is a licensed pre- physician in Colorado and holds certifications for Advanced Wilderness Life Support, CrossFit, and American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education. Teddy competes in endurance events from the marathon to the 100-mile distance. He has 10 100-mile finishes, including races such as Leadville 100 and Western States 100, as well as running 107.7 miles on the treadmill in 24 hours. Ouch. <laughs> Teddy currently resides in Boulder, Colorado, where he cooks vegetarian food, practices medicine, and enjoys the camaraderie of the local trail running community. Hi, Teddy. Thanks for being here today.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Hillary. Huge <laughs> honor, and uh, really excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So um yeah, thanks for enduring the uh, you know, listening to your bio as we do this. Um, so many things I want to talk to you about, but we've uh we've uh, you know, I we have a fellow love of science. I can talk to you all things science, I like talk your ear off. Um, but we wanted to we kind of discussed discuss a lot of topics we want to talk about, but today we want to focus on sleep. Um so I always think it's really interesting, especially in ultras. Um kind of this management of sleep. Like there's a ton of races that not only they start at like 6 PM, like I want to do UTMB one day mm-hmm. and it starts at 6 PM and it's like, okay, well, how do I approach that from a training perspective? Um, like in my, you know, in, from a racing, from a like race day perspective, but also like in my day-to-day, you know, training life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've had we'll get into this a bit later you've had some incredible um experiences with like sleep deprivation and like (laughs) during your own own uh, ultra endurance events um but yeah like so basically sleep can you like why is it so important Mm -hmm. why do we care about it Mm -hmm. um obviously specifically in you know in day-to-day life but also in running
1: yeah um excellent questions Uh, (laughs) and, and i think just starting off um Deciding kind of why sleep is important is, is a huge deal and something that um, we're kind of seeing t- um, finally turn the corner, uh, especially among athletes, um, particularly like professional and elite athletes, um, placing more of an emphasis on sleep. Um, I think that the rest of the population is probably still catching up to that, um, you know, <laughs> around like two thirds of adult um, Americans uh, don't get the standard, you know, eight hours of sleep a day. Um and what we know is that athletes need even more sleep than that. So um Oh we do. Re- yeah, recommended um for like elite and professional athletes is around 9 hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um that's recommended by like the NCAA, Olympic um the Olympic Federation and um you know for for the most part of like why do we sleep? I think that people um tend to uh, in research we always want to find like one specific um cause or one specific reason why we do something. And I think that um, when we spend something, we spend about a third of our life actually doing, um, it's not going <laughs> to have just one, uh, only one reason um, why we sleep. And uh, yeah. coming from that perspective, uh, there, there's so many reasons why you should sleep, um, you know, and we can break it down into kind of uh, acute reasons, um, being like if you get one night of bad sleep versus a one night of good sleep um, uh, and chronic reasons. So over the long term, um, you know, when you're chronically sleep deprived, we're seeing higher rates of cancer, higher rates of Alzheimer's disease, and higher rates of heart attacks. You know, three of the top 10 major causes of of death, um, you know, in the the world. Um, We also know that uh, just on an acute level, um, if you get a single night of sleep deprivation, um, your body doesn't regulate sugar as well. Um, Your perceived exertion is much higher. Um, Your ability to tolerate pain is actually much lower. Um, and, um, so these are all like small little reasons why, uh, sleep is important. Um, but, uh, really just, um, you know, kind of on a the broad scheme, um, when we get good sleep, um, we are optimizing our bodies, um, from a mental performance standpoint, as well as from a physical performance standpoint.
0: Man, see, this is like, I mean, I, I knew this just because of, you know, how much, how much I exercise and how much, um, I think sleep, uh, plays a role just in my personal life. Like, I feel like I'm a, my own, I'm always thinking about it from a scientific perspective. Like Mm -hmm. I'm my own science experiment. And so like, I know if I don't get a very restful night of sleep and I have a workout the next day, like honestly, sometimes I'm just like, well, you know, I'm going to push this back because I know I'm not really going to get that much out of it. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, if, and if I go out on a run, I can feel you say um, like, that's really interesting about the your ability to regulate pain because I mean, let's be real, like in an interval, like its ability to withstand pain and like that uncomfortable feeling and push through it. So if you're unable to regulate that, you just kind of feel like crap. And then Mm -hmm. as far as, um, I feel like I have a higher, sometimes a higher heart rate, right? Like I just feel like I'm not, I'm not quite as recovered. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'm a coach. And so I say that to my athletes all the time. It's like, if you don't get a good enough sleep, um, you know, push, push the things back. Like I would prioritize getting good sleep rather than you know, that run at, you know, 5am before you have a flight that day or something like this. Like, and I mean, as far as with, with athletes, like, wh- um, why, why do we need more? Like yeah. you said 9 plus hours?
1: 9 plus, yeah. They think like, <laughs> it's like 9 hours and 15 minutes is the current recommendation. Um, oh my
0: gosh. See, I get like 8, which I mean, I mean, I like That's
1: really good. That's more than most.
0: but I I mean, I definitely prioritize that. Like for instance, like this morning we went for a run today before we were doing our podcast and <laughs> Like I'm uh I like you know, I like to get up early and like do some things and kind of like wake up before I go running. But I mean, if I'm going to do that, you know, we were running today at 6.30, then I'm up at 5 or 5.30. So that means I go to bed at like 9. Yeah. I mean, I always joke that I'm a grandma, but hey, it's like, <laughs>
1: it's I, what I do. I think that that's, that's really great, though. And, and you're prioritizing it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that from the athlete standpoint, that's something that, um, like I said, we are seeing a little bit more of. We're seeing mm-hmm. athletes prioritize, uh, prioritize sleep a little bit more. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, why... You know, why should athletes do that? Why should athletes kind of prioritize sleep a little bit more? Um, I, I think that we're getting more information on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a study done that looked at the correlation between um, athletes who sustained um, bouts of depression um, and um, uh, how much sleep they were getting. And the optimal was at least seven and a half. Um, we're recommending you get nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we know is that um, there was a study done where athletes um, increased their sleep and um, by 30 minute intervals up to the maximum of about 10 hours um, per night and performance continued to improve across that entire spectrum. Mm. So if you can improve your, or increase the duration of sleep by even as little as 30 minutes, you're probably giving yourself a little bit of a performance advantage. Um, hmm. You know, w- with sports uh, we're seeing um, you know, races one within a matter of, you know, seconds or, yeah. or depending on the distance, less than a second um, and tens of seconds. And so, um, those small little performance advantages can be um, what make or break a race for you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, like just on the the acute, um, you know, kind of looking at it again, like uh, acute versus um, more long-term or chronic. Um, you know, when we look at it, the acute um, short uh, one night of sleep deprivation, when you get one night, no. um, it, um, it does have effects on you. Um, and, uh, but your body is able to compensate a little bit for that. Um, Mm -hmm. what we know is that, uh, you as a coach recommending that your athletes, if you're not getting good sleep preemptively, um, do not do a hard workout that day, um, is really Mm. good because actually our, our brains are not fantastic at, um, letting (laughs) us know that our performance is worse. (laughs) Um, and so if we're not using objective measures, things like looking at our heart rate, Mm. um, or, looking at our, our, our split times. Mm -hmm. Um, if we're not doing that on a consistent basis during that workout, we won't even realize that we're running slower or that our heart rate's higher. Um, we'll just feel worse and think that we're just actually performing, um, faster or, or, you know, running harder.
0: Yeah. You know? Um,
1: so your brain doesn't really look at it and say, um, you know, oh, I'm breathing heavier here, uh, because I'm a little bit sleep deprived and I'm having to work harder. Um, your brain actually twists that a little bit and says, "Well, you're actually running faster um, mm. than you think that you are." Um, and so you, you, <laughs> you—it's you, a little bit of a twist, and you, your yeah. brain does this kind of weird game with you. Yeah. Um, now, in the long term, if you're chronically sleep deprived, um, you know, from an athlete's perspective, um, you know, uh, overnight is when we produce something that's called growth hormone. Mm. Um, growth hormones produced within the first like 90 minutes to about two hours, um, of sleep onset.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, and that release is really, um, it's really due to the onset of melatonin. Um, so it's really timed based off of your normal circadian rhythm. So if there's a night when you stay up late, um, you know, you're out with friends or something like that usually you're imbibing beverages that are also not going to be great for your performance the next day. Um, those uh, short sleep, um, sleep deprivation periods, um, they tend to also come with um, that you, you prevent that release of growth hormone. You miss out on a lot of that period when growth oh. hormone is released. And if that becomes something that's chronic, growth hormone is something that um, it works on fat metabolism. It works on building muscle, um, protein utilization and optimization, um, and so, uh, that's something that's really important for athletes. And so you want to get as much of that as you possibly can. That's really why having a, um, a consistent, um, bedtime is really important for athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we normally, uh, say having a consistent wake time is important as well. That's also mainly because your body kind of times your circadian rhythm mm-hmm. based off of your wake time every day. And if you can make that routine, that's when you to get the best quality sleep. Yeah. That's when your body's hormones are going to be um, kind of most optimal, um, and, and consistent. Yeah. Um, from, uh, and also from, a, a mental perspective, um, when we see people chronically sleep deprived, uh, your cognitive functioning just isn't, um, kind of optimized. Um, yeah. and so what we were talking about before with, um, you know, having a higher perceived, f- um, effort, yeah. having a, <laughs> um, a lower threshold for pain, over the long term you're just not going to be accumulating the same kind of gains in your in your training and your workouts that you probably could be.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is all really good information. I've heard I've heard about this is like um uh kind of sleep hygiene, like having a mm-hmm. routine. And I mean, I love that, like having, like having a kind of a bedtime routine to kind of relax you if you have trouble, like calming down, like my mind's always going. Um, um, whether that's like, for me, it's like tea. Um, but again, it's like, even this is sometimes like a night if I stay up super late, like with friends or, you know, because life is all about balance. It's like, I can't, you know, always, always be in, that, in bed at the same time every single night, especially like on a Friday night. but I do, I do notice that even if I go to bed later, I still wake up at the same time. So it's like, I try to be, to be like, okay, like stay in bed a little bit longer. And like on those days where I know if I'm going to bed later, I try to still like get the same amount of sleep. But I mean, it's part of that kind of, like you said, that teaching your body that routine, um, Mm -hmm. that it definitely learns it. I mean, but so, I mean, I want to shift to, because you mentioned a lot of good things about races. And, um, I always get this question when, um, there's athletes I'm coaching for a certain event where they start running through the night. So they like, for instance, UTMB, like a ton of European races, like lavaredo all of them. They start like lavaredo starts at 11 PM and UTMB starts at 6 PM on a Friday. So you start the night. I mean, there's, I mean, even like races in the United States, like run rabbit run, you start at like noon. So you're still running into the night, like pretty, pretty soon into the race. And um, you know, the, if you're, if you think about it, it's like, you know, if you're finishing in 20, well, you know, 24 hours, or like, even if you're not for a race like UTMB, like you're usually missing two nights of sleep. Um, and so the athletes ask me, they're like, okay, so how do I prepare for this? And they're like, do I need to run overnight? And honestly, my opinion, and this might not be correct. This is obviously like, <laughs> this, this is my opinion from my, like, you know, my quote unquote athletes that I've experimented on <laughs> or myself. I'm sorry guys for I coach. It's it's out of like the like love and uh, you know, I care about you. Um, I'm not trying to like, you know, ruin your performances. But I honestly argue that it's better. Like here's what I ask them to practice. Like practice running into sunset. Like start the run at maybe eight PM, end at like eleven. Like run when the sun is going down. But I hardly ever recommend any athlete to run like Consistently through the night, because I think that the benefits of that, maybe, I mean, it is certainly psychological, like to, the confidence, be like, oh, sweet, I did that. I can run through the night. I can do it. But I think that is definitely a benefit. But the physical, the physical kind of um, negatives that it brings, I think far outweigh any sort of psychological benefit that you can gain from it. And on race day, like you know, you're going to have enough adrenaline that I think you can figure it out. <laughs> At least I hope. But um, that's generally been my philosophy. But I mean, you have you have experience uh, with this kind of like <laughs> with the sleep deprivation in your you know pursuits from 100 mile races. And I mean, we can get into like what you did this summer with Nolan's. But also, I mean, chronically, like how do you manage? How do you manage sleep deprivation? because you're a doctor, you work insane hours. Like, you know, basically we've had to wait however many (laughs) weeks to be able to have some time to actually record this because, (laughs) you know, you're either running at 5am or like, you know, in inpatient at 645 in the morning, like (laughs) you're, you, you have to prioritize sleep, but like you're kind of, you might be in a chronically like sleep deprived. (laughs) I don't know. How do you manage that with work and training? Cause especially for an ultra. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All, um, All good questions. Uh, (laughs)
0: There's a lot right there.
1: And and, um, so I would say, um, so first thing is uh, looking at um, kind of my own uh, experience. um, Certainly have had plenty of experience with sleep deprivation. Um, You know, for medicine, we do 24-hour shifts, which usually turn into like 30-hour shifts um, just because of um, kind of crossover, um, cross-covering, and, um, you know, transferring patients over to the new team coming on. Yeah. Um, And – that, what I've kind of learned in that experience is, uh, number one, um, that you don't get any better at it the more you do it. Um, and, and, and so I can do as many 24-hour shifts as I want to. You're um, still going to be tired. But I'm still going to be tired. Um, the period... Dang it! Yeah, exactly. The, the, the period between like, you know, about 1 a.m. to 3 a.m., um, it never gets any easier. Um, you always feel tired during that, that time. Wait, um, what
0: is the period? 1 a.m. to – Like
1: 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. I, I just –
0: Yeah. That, that's
1: always a really, really weird time to be awake, like the witching hour, right? Yeah. If like um, for
0: alpine starts, remember like like a like a 3 a.m. wake-up call versus, or a 2 a.m., 3 a.m. versus like a 4 a.m.? 2 a.m. feels like – and 3 feels so bad. Yeah, but 4 a.m. feels kind of okay.
1: Five, <laughs> like 5 a.m. feels a little more civil, right? <laughs> but if like when you're asked to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning even, it's just, it's oh. it's brutal. Um, yeah. so that, that's kind of one is one, you don't, you don't get any better at it. So, um, I don't know if, uh, practicing it, um, if you really have a whole lot of benefit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, number two is that even when I am sleep deprived, um, at three o'clock in the morning on 24 hour shift, um, I know based off of what I've read that my cognitive functioning is, um, it's, it's low um, it's inhibited.
0: This is such like a, like, I I love it. Based on what I've read, my cognitive function is low. It's like you're sciencing it. I get it. No, I I would do the same thing.
1: Yeah. But like, um, (laughs) while I'm in that moment, um, like I kind of said, your brain is pretty good at hiding that, um, from you. Uh, And so, um, you think that you're still capable and functioning fairly well. And so um, during those times when I'm working, I'm utilizing quite a bit of external factors to try and keep myself alert and uh-huh. cognitively aware. Um, we can talk about those things. We can get into things like caffeine and, and um, you know, what are good ways for us to actually maintain some alertness when we are sleep deprived.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but that's the other one is trying to kind of be more aware that I'm not functioning at my best during those times.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like, asking for help. I mean, yeah. I think maybe a little bit of this too is this whole idea of like, just a quick tangent, like mm-hmm. pacers in yep. in races. Like, it definitely helps. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, continue. <laughs> um,
1: we'll we'll get into that more when um, we kind of talk about Nolan's. I think. Yeah. Um, but um, okay. So number one is that practicing it doesn't help you a whole lot. Number two is that um, really, uh, even when you are in that moment you're not realizing how much it's changing your cognitive functioning. Um, and it is yeah. impacted significantly. They, um, you know, we've done studies and we've um, even compared the cognitive um, functioning um, decrease to somebody who, say, um, drank alcohol. And, um, you know, your level of impairment is actually pretty consistent after 23 hours of sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, as someone who's had about um, three to four beers. Um, and so, yeah,
0: I would be wasted. I'm such a lightweight. Oh my gosh. I (laughs) feel it after like a half a beer. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: that's going to vary by what your tolerance level is. (laughs) Um, you know, it's the, the impairment is significant, you know? Um, so when we look at it from that perspective, um, what I usually do for myself is I, I don't really see, um, a huge benefit, um, in trying to practice sleep deprivation. Um, and what I would actually encourage people to do, so when we're looking at events that um, do require that, that are going to require a significant amount of sleep deprivation or you know, just have weird start times so that um, there's yeah. really no way around it. I mean, if you start at 11 p.m., you're going to be running through the night for you know, 100K or 100-mile you
0: race. Know, you've usually been up all day too, right? That's, that's
1: right. And, and it's hard to change that circadian rhythm to be able to sleep during the day. Whatever sleep that you get is, is not going to be super restful. No. Um, so I would say that from that perspective – um, when we're leading up to those events, um, there are some things that you can do. Number one is um, make sure to optimize your sleep leading up to that event. Mm. Um, and so, what I would say is, um, like we were talking about a little bit ago, is that when you have, um, you know, uh, an acute um, sleep deprivation, you see decline in functioning. If you were to increase your sleep, um, you know, for an athlete, say you know you're getting about eight hours of sleep. If you were to increase it by by 30 minutes Mm -hmm. um, or even an hour, um, I usually say 30-minute intervals because it it helps your body kind of adjust and you Mm -hmm. can adjust a little bit better to a 30-minute change as opposed to an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're going to see an improved performance with 30 minutes of increased sleep. Mm -hmm. If you do that for a week, you can get up to an hour of increased sleep a night. Mm -hmm. Um, So you could get up to nine hours of sleep the week before your event. Mm -hmm. Um, What we also know is that I'm sure most athletes kind of experience this. Um, There are the the calm and collected few who are able to sleep peacefully the night before an event. Um, I can do that. You can do that. Um, Usually. Well, you know, not all of us are blessed with that um, amazing capability. And what we see is that usually the night before an event, um, you're not getting your optimal sleep. No. You're not getting high quality sleep. Um, A lot of times people wake up um, you know, and they're awake at three o'clock in the morning for no apparent reason. Um, you know, the night before their race, because they're worried about it or they're worried about waking up on time and then they try and go back to sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, so sleep is usually disrupted the night before an event
0: or just shorter. I mean, shorter. yeah, like I I remember TDS, like I I woke up, the race started at 4am. So I was Mm -hmm. up at two. So it was like, you know, I slept, but it was not fun of that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or there's
1: significant travel <laughs> yeah. that's like associated yeah. with it. Some people are like driving to the, the start of the race, the, that mm. morning of, um, or the night of. Um, and so the, you know, your sleep is going to be a little bit worse the night before. Um, and so you can, uh, I don't know if there's really, um, I don't know if there's really literature on like sleep loading or sleep banking.
0: Yeah. I was about to ask
1: you. Um, I, I haven't seen any study that really, um, shows that, but, what we know is that your your performance will improve when you increase your sleep leading up to an event. Yeah. Um, and so you might as well try and optimize your sleep um, and increase your sleep a little bit uh, before you have a big effort coming And so up.
0: With this, I mean, obviously the idea of sleep banking, um, but uh, I, I would say your bodies can adapt pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the timeline for for to have some, some sort of like the benefits of, you know, like not banking sleep, but having better quality sleep or more sleep leading up to a big event, would you say like a week, two weeks like
1: yeah i would I would say depends, um, but um there's really no um I mean if Hillary, if I can encourage you to get nine hours of sleep and you could say, you know, should I do that a week before or two weeks before or should I just do it all the time? Uh-huh. I would say you, you should just do it all the time.
0: <laughs> I can, I can try, but, but, like-
1: but most people are able to prioritize, um, the performance a little bit more leading up to a big race. So, yeah, for sure. um, I would say if you're looking at um, <laughs> a window, you know, same thing for, we usually encourage people to do altitude acclimatization, mm-hmm. usually about two weeks before yeah. an event. Um, so I would encourage people, Hey, if, if you're, you know, if you're going to place a higher priority on it, Um, and that's restricted by your normal everyday, So you can't just do it all the time. Mm -hmm. Try and, try and do it for two weeks before.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. I know maybe I'll work on the 30 minutes at a time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, the other side of this too is, um, the reason why I would say it probably has some benefit in a short term, um, is that there are some studies, which, um, when we look at something that's called like social jet lag. So when you, we were talking about like, oh, uh, on the weekend, I stay up a little bit later, but then you might sleep longer. Um, you know, you say that you wake up at the same time every day, which science would agree with you. That's the best thing that you should do. And you should probably take a little bit of a nap at some point early morning, um, throughout that day. Um, but the rest of society, um, is not as responsible and a lot of people, um, though, you know, they're getting six hours, seven hours of sleep throughout the week. And then on the weekends they're sleeping until like, you know, 12 o'clock, one o'clock, um, to try and catch up in quotes, um, on sleep. But um, what we have seen is that there is a little bit of benefit to that. Um, okay. But you're better off having the consistent times in your sleep. So even though you are getting a little bit of benefit from that increased sleep on the weekend, um, you would get more benefit from having a consistent sleep structure and um, in, in the long term, that's going to be more beneficial for you.
0: So does that mean like even if you stay up later, still waking up at the same time, but then like complementing that with maybe a nap instead of like yeah. s- like sleeping until noon, which I could never do. <laughs> like-
1: <laughs> that's exactly what I would recommend. Yeah. Okay. And, and I would, okay. um, you know, if we're going to talk about napping um, you know, that's another one of these. Um, so in, in events, um, especially ones that last uh, several days or, or you <laughs> know, more than um, like 24 hours, we see significant changes in your cognitive performance uh, when we start getting into like the 36 hour um, period of sleep deprivation. Um, and so there are people who may at that point want to sleep during an event. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, you know, I, nobody's getting six hours of sleep during an event. Um, (laughs) but you might get, um, you know, what, what I have seen is that, um, a 10 minute nap is usually optimal. Um, Mm -hmm. that's going to get you a slight amount of light sleep that will affect your alertness and your cognitive function and improve that. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you sleep longer, say a 20 minute duration or even a 30 minute duration, the downside of that is that your body starts to get into a deep sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can get into sleep architecture, um, if you want to, but, um, Deep sleep is, is more restful sleep, but it mm-hmm. also is tougher to wake up from. Yeah, um, And so we get something that's called sleep inertia is usually the term that's associated with that. And so um, the benefits start to get a little bit outweighed by the, the downsides when you get into that 30-minute range. Um, so usually optimal for people um, is somewhere between a 10 to 20-minute nap. Um, okay. That's going to give you a little bit of the cognitive bump that you might need. Um, now what we know is that you need deep sleep in order to get um, that uh, muscular or connective tissue um, uh, kind of recovery, um, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the the deeper um, brain functions, things like memory, you need um, some deep sleep in order to um, see transfer of long memories or uh, like a short-term memory into Mm long-term memory. Um, You need REM sleep in order to get some emotional processing. And um, so when we look at um, sleep architecture, if you want to get any of that, especially if you want REM sleep, um, then you're looking at more of like a 90-minute cycle.
2: Hmm.
1: Um and I would encourage anyone who is um looking at doing an event where that's gonna be multiple multiple days, um, you probably wanna know how long a sleep cycle is for you.
2: Hmm.
1: Um and a full sleep cycle is lasting from light sleep, um, going down into deep sleep and then um getting some REM sleep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and REM sleep is actually a, a lighter form of sleep. Um it's actually when um, your brain is most active. Um, deep sleep is when your brain is least active. And that's probably why we see most of the benefits of um, recovery for the body during sleep, deep sleep. Um, and while uh, REM sleep, we see most of the recovery for um, like emotional processing or um, dreaming occurs most often mm. during REM sleep. Um, and there's fascinating um, studies that have been done on REM sleep associated with um, emotional processing of like trauma or. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, cognitive dissonance um, when something happens that uh, you, it's very tough for you to wrap your head around, even.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so that emotional processing um, can certainly take um, its toll, especially if people are cutting their short their their sleep short. Yeah. Um, and so, if you're not getting that full ninety minute sleep cycle, um, or even the just over the long term, if you're cutting your sleep short, so getting six hours instead of nine hours, um, our bodies tend to get more REM sleep later in in the Mm -hmm. the night of sleep Mm -hmm. um, than um, earlier when our bodies tend to focus more on deep sleep. So body recovery early in the night and um, emotional recovery um, kind of later in the night.
0: So – oh, I see, Teddy. So it's like basically if I want to have more success in my relationships, I should sleep longer. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. That's a really bad – Well,
1: (laughs) actually, there's been some cool studies on that Um, and and, – you can actually see some benefits of REM sleep. Now, I'm not saying that you, <laughs> Hillary, um, so don't do yeah. on relationships. Because uh, no. I think that you're a great friend and you <laughs> um, have no problems on, on that point. But.
0: Um, uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Jury's out. Anyways. Um, no, but okay. So this is all fascinating. Um, but I think uh, this is going to be... Like, we should go into Nolan's because... Oh, sure,
2: sure.
0: Okay, so um, because all these sleep strategies, like, quickly, I'll kind of... Um, when, when I'm preparing athletes for kind of multi-day, I just had this athlete who did um, uh, an FKT, so Fastest Known Time, on the Wind River High Route. Oh, now, okay. he didn't... It was, like like three ish days. Um, so he had, he did little naps, but not, not really like any significant amount of sleep because he was able to, I think it was short quote unquote short enough. Um, but still, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different strategies and at CTS, you know, as coaches, um, we always throw around different papers and kind of ideas about like what works best like for some of these longer events I mean I'm sure everyone was watching Courtney DeWalter this past summer where she was trying to attempt the Colorado Trail. Gosh,
2: she's amazing. Oh
0: my gosh I know <laughs> and you know she she really like she's really well practiced I would say mm-hmm. even though you can't supposedly get good at you know being tired maybe I think she's pretty good at it but but you know she, <laughs> she didn't really sleep much early on mm-hmm. um, and then she kind of took the approach of taking a little bit maybe longer, maybe 30 minute intervals. Um, but again, uh, I think for, for most people that I, that I coach for these longer multi-day events, I would recommend kind of the short little stints, like the, the like 10 to 20 minute range. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's knowing your body and kind of what works a little bit best for you. If you can kind of wake up from that, like, groggy deep sleep and you're okay with it mm-hmm. um you know if, if that makes you also feel like psychologically better than you know for sure i tell my athletes to go for it um but so i would say that you're a little bit well practiced at like sleep deprivation just because of the nature of your job and all the things you have to balance <laughs> but um so you had a cool project i mean for anyone who doesn't know um what nolan's is when I mean, mm-hmm. we're here in colorado i mean it's it's been a route that i've known of since i started ultra running but teddy i'll let you take it away
1: what yeah, what is yeah. nolan's and yeah nolan's so <laughs> um so so nolan's route uh, nolan's 14 um it's uh, essentially um 14 14ers in the sowatch mountain range so there's there's actually 15 peaks in the sowatch um and the route doesn't incorporate um mount, Hol- mount of the holy cross mm. um it's about 30 miles north of um of Mount Massive, which is the uh, northernmost on the route, yeah. and so there are people who do Holy Nolans, and they add on <laughs> um, a little bit extra Holy on Nolans. top of the whole thing because um, if that wasn't
0: badass enough, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's let's be real: so thirty miles extra on a hundred mile mountain route yep. off trail,
1: yeah. So it's it's about um, you know depending on the route that you take, uh, somewhere between about ninety two is the lowest mileage that I've seen. Um to about one hundred and six miles mm-hmm. um, of uh, as far as the distance goes, and you're getting somewhere around forty five thousand feet of vertical gain over the course of that route as well. <laughs> no big deal. Um, <laughs> and and um, like like you said, this is um, a lot of it is off trail. Um, you are on trails for some of it, and it's just based off of the nature of the route that you choose. Mm. Um so really, the only rules are that, um, you start at either Fish Hatchery or Blank Cabin and you tag all 14 peaks and you make your way to the opposite point.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and Fish Hatchery, like mm-hmm. it's outside of Leadville. But it, it is. Yeah so.
1: Yep. yeah. so it's outside of Leadville. It starts um, just a little bit um, north of uh, Mount Massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so there's two different routes. You could go southbound starting mm-hmm. at Fish Hatchery. Um, making your way up Mountain Massive and going all the way down south to Blank Cabin. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could go northbound starting at Blank Cabin, which is down outside of Salida. Mm. Um, And um, you head up towards Shivano for your first peak, and then you make your way out to Fish Hatchery from there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the routes can differ among people. So there are slight variations. Um, Enough people have done it really at this point Mm -hmm. that – um, there's a fairly well defined route, although yeah, um,
0: especially after this summer, I mean, I feel like you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of
1: people on it this yeah, summer. Yeah. There's a lot of people, and so um, you know, it, it is fairly well defined as far as kind of where to go. There's enough data out there now with GPS devices that um, you can kind of piece it together, um, depending on your capabilities on the route. You can have satellite and see where you're at. Mm, um, you, yeah. can, you know, people will put the route on their watch, even, yeah. um, and that can help with navigation. Um, but in order to do it well, I think, um, you have to spend quite a bit of time out there. Um, and so that's getting to know the area, um, the places that are off trail, getting to know the good connections between trails when there are, um, some and getting to know when, you know, what's going to be beneficial. Um, there are times when, even if there is a trail there, um, it takes you, (laughs) um, you know, in different directions and it may be a little bit more of a circuitous route, Yeah, where there may be a better way to go directly up the the mountain. Hmm. Um, And so that depends on what the terrain is like. Um, It depends on, um, yeah, if you're if you're going downhill, there might be a really great scree field that you can just boot ski down Mm -hmm. Um, instead of taking a trail that, uh, you know, will zigzag and switch back. Um, Because we're here in America instead of like (laughs) France where you're at training. I was about
0: to say, France, we don't like switchbacks. Just go straight up the thing (laughs) and straight down.
1: (laughs) um, So I, I think that you can get better at it the more time you spend on it.
0: But so this is, I mean, I love this route. It's super cool. I mean, I mean, like you said, there's maybe more of a designated like trail after all the people that were, mm-hmm. you know, out there this summer. Shout out to Megan Hicks and Sabrina <laughs> Stanley for doing the epic battle of, you know, the FKTs um, on that route. But uh, going back to this idea of sleep and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the more sleep deprived you are, um, the, you know, less cognitive function you have. Mm -hmm. So this is a route that you have certain, I like you have to scout it. You have to know kind of these areas. And so this requires like, obviously long-term memory. So in a training cycle, when you're training, uh, you, you have that good sleep, you have the opportunity to kind of put it into long-term memory. Mm -hmm. But then when you're out on the course and you're doing this, this route and you encounter, so Nolan's to complete it successfully, it's a 60 hour, um, time stamp. Like, mm-hmm. so you have to finish it within 60 hours to have it like, you know, stamped officially in no one's like, that's right. um, and so, I mean, that's nearly three days, um, uh, you know, of, of sleep deprivation. And not only, I mean, we didn't talk about this, we don't have to, but I think there is a factor con- to consider that you are at altitude. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, I mean, I think the effects of, um, um, uh, physical stress can present themselves a bit sooner or in maybe more extreme cases when you're at altitude. Um, because, you know, in, in the valleys, you're still at like 10,000, 9,000 feet. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Leadville is at 10,000 feet Mm -hmm. outside of fish hatchery. So, um, I mean, I want to bring it back to kind of this, and you can tell us something that happened during Nolan's for you. Um, but this whole idea of what does it mean? Like, what was your strategy going into Nolan's from a sleep point of view? Um, I mean, I was quite impressed to hear some of your strategies of, of, of this, but, and, um, did you notice anything when, um, like cognitively for like route, um, recognition and like maneuvering when you were out there?
1: Yeah, I I love, um, I love all those questions and we'll, we'll do a little bit of a dive here. So, um, (laughs) so, so, uh, the reason why this is so applicable to our topic of sleep today is exactly what you said. So it, um, typically takes people, I think the fastest known time, um, on the whole route going in the direction, um, was, was set this summer, um, and was a mind, mind boggling. I, I, I don't know how, um, uh, Campanelli did that, but, um, <laughs> you know, even, even his, um, record, I think it was 49 hours, oh my gosh. um, was, uh, just incredible and we're seeing most people finish around like um in the 50s so um somewhere you know 51 to like 56 hours um when when people finish they're typically around there
0: two and a half days yeah. you know like yeah. <laughs> still really stout
1: um and so uh you you know you're going to be running for two days without sleep um mm. and so deciding what your um how much sleep you're going to get are you going to sleep um those were big kind of questions going into it for me um, and I knew that, um, you know, I was going to try to get some sleep on the route, um, mainly because uh, you just start to deteriorate in your cognitive functioning um, so much so after two nights without sleep at all, um, that if I wanted to have any kind of success on the route, figured I was going to have to get some. Um, yeah. I, um, I do wear um, a smartwatch at nighttime when I sleep, um, mainly to try and figure out what my sleep cycle is. Yeah. Um,
0: that was a question I was going to ask earlier. Yeah. Yep.
1: So um, most of um, smartwatches are, uh, uh, have the capability to do what's called um, actinigraphy um, or kind of measuring your sleep architecture while you sleep. Hmm. Um, and so they're not fantastic um, hmm. at describing whether or not, um, like what stage of sleep you are in, um, other than really telling you when you're in deep sleep, when you're in light sleep. Um, some of them are pretty good at showing whether or not you're in REM sleep. Hmm. Um, and so you can get a fairly good idea even just with, um, you know, something like a, a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or um, most um, uh, like the Garmin watches or I'm not, I don't know if like the Coros or Sunto watches, yeah. um, if those have um, an actinigrapher um, in them. And so you can go back and analyze what is a sleep cycle for you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I did mine and mine's about 90 minutes, a little less than 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I knew that if I wanted to get a full sleep cycle, I would have to sleep at least that long. Mm. Um, I also know that, um, looking at my sleep architecture when, um, after I do like a 24 hour, um, shift that I fall into deep sleep much faster, um, than typically. So, normally it takes like 20 to 30 minutes for you to actually get into a deep sleep stage. Um, whereas when I'm sleep deprived in, in this um, studies back this up that when you are sleep deprived, your body will fall into deep sleep much faster. Um, mm. So it can take um, even just a couple of minutes, somewhere between um, you know, like five to 15 minutes um, for you to fall into deep sleep. Mm. Um, and, and so your body will fall into that deep sleep stage much quicker. Um, it, Basically, your, your brain is saying, we need this, yeah. you know. And so it just triages out the early stages <laughs> yeah. of sleep. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of knew that going in. And so I, I really um, tiered my approach around those two things was um, I knew I was going to take short naps, about 10 minutes in length. And I knew that I was going to try and get at least one um, sleep cycle in at some point. Um, so I was going to try and aim for um, only doing one 90-minute bout of sleep. And then um, trying to substitute that um, or supplement that with a couple other small ten minute naps. Um, and I, I, funny enough, I started actually around um, uh, six p.m. at nighttime, um, mainly because of the points where I was going to be at on the route at certain times of day. Mm-hmm. Um, so because this is not a race, there's no aid station set up, mm-hmm. um, and I just I had my dad, um, my buddy Chad. Um, my buddy Teddy Lyman came out for a little while and then um, uh, my other friend uh, Roger came out for a little while. Um, but the mainstays were my dad and, and my friend Chad who flew in from uh, the great state of Ohio. <laughs> um, and, and those two, um, they were my main source of getting any kind of aid. And mm-hmm. so they were driving in, you know, up, you know, back, back, um, you know, country roads up, up yeah. these mountain valleys. Um and so it depended on when they could get there, if they were going to have to hike in and we had to really decide whether or not they were going to be able to get to a spot where I was going to be at specific times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really changed when I left. Um, in retrospect, not a great idea. Cause I, I ended up having to run <laughs> for three nights and only two days. Um, I also s- started in September, uh, the end of September, um, which at that point the sun was setting around yeah. seven p.m. It wasn't rising until like seven fifteen. Yeah. Um. And so I was getting much less daylight than if I would have done yeah. it um in the summertime. Mm-hmm. All those things being said, um, what I ended up doing was um going through the whole first night um running without sleep and then um, getting about a ten minute nap before uh, kind of like right as the sun was coming up, mm. um. And then um continuing along, the second night got super weird. Um <laughs> the I I um at that point um I'd only had 10 minutes of sleep. Um yeah, no I, big deal. Yeah, <laughs> I, I started having um hallucinations. Um I was seeing rock cairns, um, which uh, if anyone isn't doesn't know what those are, it's basically small stacks of rocks to demarcate where um the trail, you know, is. A trail is. Yeah. And I was seeing these in a boulder field um between Harvard and Columbia. And when I would get up to where the rock cairn was, it was gone. It would just disappear. So it was like a, a mirage <laughs> when people are out in the desert and they see an oasis. Um, for me, my oasis was a rock cairn and, yeah. and it would just disappear. Yeah. If you look at my Strava, I like zigzag back oh and forth. Gosh. I like go through multiple circuitous routes. Um, You're
0: looking for security. You're looking for oh like, this my is gosh. the route.
1: <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. And my headlamp died up at the top. Um, and so that that you know that second night I was already seeing cognitive decline, mm. I was already seeing um my alertness was obviously decreased, my ability to even just make decisions um it took much longer to make mm. decisions um and I still had a whole other day and night to go through running. Yeah. Um, and um, my experience actually ended um, at peak 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was up um, on Entero and it was dark already for me. And I was having small little micro sleeps. So um, basically I would be running and I would um, wake up in <laughs> uh, a new location, <laughs> essentially, that I didn't remember how I got there. Um basically like small little amnesia episodes almost. And I think it was my body just prioritizing sleep. It's like um, if you were driving a car, um, people will have micro sleeps where they doze a little bit, you know? Um, And um, that was happening to me while I was running. Um, I was also like having like difficulty again, like making decisions. I wasn't alert. Um, And uh, so I actually made the decision at that time to turn around. And I went back down Antero um, which is a jeep road up until like thirteen thousand eight hundred feet. Yeah. Um, it felt safe and secure to me, and I didn't feel comfortable going up, um, kind of the boulder ridge to get up to Tabawash, which was mm-hmm. uh thirteen and fourteen. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I was probably about five miles away from completing the the, the whole ah, thing.
0: <laughs> but no, but, I mean, yeah, I think that's really that's smart because I mean, it can you can actually. Like you said, it's like a, a, a safety kind right. of standpoint at, 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 from from that point. I mean, I always, I mean, for, for my athletes, um, I always recommend it's like you know you can you can run through a certain amount of discomfort, but it's like mm-hmm. your responsibility to know mm-hmm. if that's actually going to cause more pain, like long term, like a serious a risk of serious injury versus like are you just having a pity party? Mm-hmm. But I think that that's a really important distinction to have, and like you 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 come into that that line when you're doing these multi-day events, especially dealing with something as important as cognitive function on a route that you have to be aware and like make decisions. Like, you know, you're at altitude, you're in, you know, people can die of exposure. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, storms can move in very quickly. Um, I mean, Maybe people are, like, rolling their eyes at this, like, listening to it. But I, I like, I really do think so. I mean, I've had a mountain accident and an injury. And, like, I mm-hmm. see how, um, you know, quickly things can change in the blink of an Sorry. eye. And you really have to be aware. Um, and so being able to kind of make that distinction and being like, okay, well, I'm putting myself in a, in a dangerous position. Because, you know, like, even if you, f- like, physically feel okay, which you did. Mm-hmm cognitively, like being able to kind of maneuver down this boulder field and safely up to like these next peaks, you can, you know, put yourself in serious risk if you're not kind of all there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I, and I think that when we're talking about multi-day events, um, that's probably something that people underestimate the most. Yeah. Um, when we look at, um, you know, the event, big, bigs, backyard ultra, yeah. um, You know, and that's if anyone is unfamiliar with this concept, you should look it up. It will blow your mind. (laughs) Um, But essentially, there is no finish to the race.
0: Courtney Dewalter is a badass. Yeah, (laughs)
1: yeah. Courtney Dewalter just won (laughs) this year um, the American um, uh, Bigs Backyard Ultra, and it's a last man standing race. And so, essentially, um, runners compete in a four mile loop Um, once an hour. You go out; everyone has to start on the hour, Um, and you just run loops until there is only one person left. Um, and in that, um, event this year, you see sleep deprivation just at its, you know, no, it's pinnacle. I mean, we're, we're seeing these athletes running. I mean, they ran what, I think this year they'd made it, um, into the sixties. It was, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, I think their goal was what was Courtney's goal? Like, what did they get? Three
1: hundred miles, yeah, which would have been to seventy-two do, hours. Yeah, I think they made it 67. 60
0: sixty-something. But yeah,
1: yeah. So, and it was down to two athletes at that time. <laughs> and yeah. um, you know, Harvey Lewis is somebody who I have run with and, and know from being from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, <laughs> Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> he, um, he's a he's an exceptional human being. But uh, in addition to that, also a, a really an amazing athlete. Yeah. Um, and somebody who's not as well known, really, in the ultra community, even though he's won events like Badwater, um, he's yeah. um, r- run um, in one hundred mile races, like Burning River one hundred. Yeah. Um, but um, he pulled out of that race because of sleep deprivation. He just, yeah. you know, couldn't um, sustain that. And um, and what we're seeing is that the mind will give up before the body does. Hmm. Um, you can train your body as much as you want to, but if mentally, if you are incapable, that's going to be what stops your progress.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. So I have – I want to see how many questions I have left for you. But I guess um, one quick follow-up question for Nolan's, and then we can kind of end with uh, your, you know, like – if, if people could take away one piece of advice from sure. this podcast, um, which there should be many. So I hope everyone's taking notes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the one thing for Nolan, so you're going to attempt it again mm-hmm. this next year. Would you, so regardless of, you know, the time of year that you're changing it, all of these things, um, are, would you change anything from a sleep management um, point of view or how you, att- how you, how you would, that strategy? Like,
1: yes, I, I would. Um, and, you know, I, um I I also supplemented with small like 10-minute naps while I was just running at certain points because I just felt so exhausted. Hmm. I would just sit down um, and put my head on my pack and set an alarm for 10 minutes. <laughs> and then I would just wake up. And um, even those short little bouts while I was running yeah. were great. So I wouldn't change that. I would actually still incorporate those. Um, what I would probably change is – Um, I would try to have a little bit more scheduled um, sleep periods Mm. and I would try to to have them at different times. So this time I ended up sleeping quite frequently um, like as the sun was coming up Mm. um, and that's usually when cortisol is spiking in your body. Um, So you actually get a very big cortisol boost um, that makes you more alert. It makes you feel a little bit more empowered and energized Um, and that cortisol starts to rise for most people, around like 4 a.m. and then peaks around like 9 a.m. And so I would try to correlate um, my sleep periods more so with when cortisol was at its lowest point, um, which is somewhere between like uh, 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. Um, so I would try and get more of my sleep during that time. Hmm. Number one, um, I wasn't physically as productive at that time anyway. (laughs) Um, number two, uh, I think that I would get better rest and my body would feel a little bit more, I would fall into that sleep a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's number, that's number one thing that I would change. Number two is, um, you know, this time I, I started at, in, at nighttime and so I ended up running through three nights. I'm certainly going to change when I start. <laughs> this time I'm going to start in the morning um, yeah. and we'll just deal with where I'm at along the course as it comes. Yeah. Um, but I think that will make a significant difference just for when I get that a little bit longer period of sleep Yeah. Um, because I want to do it on that second night. Yeah. Um and this time I was really I wasn't sure when to do it because I knew I had 3 nights to go through. Mm-hmm. Um and I wanted to make sure that it was I didn't get it too early mm-hmm. so that I didn't have to take multiple.
2: Yeah.
1: Um because we're you're always weighing you know how much time are you taking away from actually moving versus how beneficial was this going to be. Yeah. Um now I do think at some point you just become Um, so cognitively dysfunctional that your progress is significantly inhibited by sleeping and you're better off sleeping for an hour, um, or getting 90 minutes of sleep with a full sleep cycle than trying to push through and actually just continue on with those 10 minute naps. Yeah. I don't know. I I may try to incorporate, um, um, at least one of those 90 minute cycles. Um, Mm. but it depends on kind of maybe how I'm feeling if I try to do two of them.
0: Yeah. Uh, see I and mean, then there's so many factors to consider when you're doing like multi-day stuff it's oh yeah it's so that's cool.
1: what makes them fun though i think yeah yeah,
0: yeah. i mean even people you know who and, and this doesn't yeah like this is 100 miles right like mm-hmm. so this hap this can happen not even like in a 100 mile plus event it can happen in you know a pretty mountainous 100 mile 100k event too yeah like, and,
1: and, and we're too. seeing the popularity of 200 mile races oh, like just hmm. growing significantly oh, yeah. i mean Um, and those are races where this becomes a a true factor, you know, um, of what is your sleep, you know, what, what is your, um, kind of, how are you going to approach this? Um, so I think that, um, this is something that we'll start to see pop up more and more for people, um, is Mm -hmm. how you're going to manage the situation. You as a coach, you're going to have to, um, (laughs) go through this more and more of athletes asking you what to do. (laughs) Um, and I think that, um, you know, bringing this kind of full circle back around to, um, should we try to practice this? Um, and I would Hmm. say, uh, I don't think that it's super worthwhile. Um, if you are going to do it, trying to maybe, um, run earlier in the morning when it's dark out to just get experience when Ah, it's dark,
2: um,
1: that might be helpful. Um, but I wouldn't ever recommend people do it consistently because what you're going to end up doing, it's what we talked about earlier is just inhibiting your performance, inhibiting your workouts, yeah. Um, and so making it so that you're just not getting the adaptations that you normally do. Um, we're seeing a lot of athletes get something that's called chronic fatigue syndrome. Yeah. Um, overtraining syndrome is another name for mm-hmm. it, um, where people are simply, they just don't feel motivated. They, they get exhausted. Um, and people are attributing that more so to lack of recovery than we are to, um, the, the stress side of things. Mm-hmm. So people can stress their bodies out quite a bit. Um, and if you recover well enough and you, you dedicate enough time to that, um, people don't tend to burn out, but, um, when you overdo it when, and underdo your recovery, um, that's usually when we see that kind of happen for people.
0: Yeah. Well, so this is like a, this is then the last question that I'd want to ask you. So it's like the million dollar question. <laughs> Just kidding. There's been a ton of like good information in this podcast. So thanks for this. Um, but what's your biggest piece of advice that you can give to to athletes when it comes to sleep. Um it's kind of an open ended one. There you go. But yeah, what's just your like takeaway message? Like what do you think that most athletes can benefit when it comes to sleep?
1: Um I, I think it's fairly simple. I I would say um I would say sleep as much as you can. <laughs> um aim for nine hours. Yeah. Um if you aren't getting nine hours um and uh you are you know you have an occupation or um, your, uh, your daily schedule throughout the week doesn't allow the nine yeah. hours. Um, then I would say do everything that you can to try and increase it by about 30 minutes. Um, and, um, have good, uh, hygiene practices around your sleep. Um, be fairly specific about what you do, um, in order to recover with sleep. Um, so have a good practice around winding down at nighttime. Um, a couple of just key points that I probably would encourage people to do as far as just getting better sleep. Um, number one, we, we said get a consistent wake time, um, and try and stay consistent, um, even over the weekend period. Um, mm-hmm. if you're not getting an optimal amount of sleep, you can supplement with a nap, um, but get that nap early, uh, in the morning and try not to allow that nap, um, to go any longer than I would say max is probably about an hour to, um, mm-hmm. to 90 minutes. Um, because then it starts to inhibit your nighttime sleep mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Um, Additionally to that, um, you can optimize your circadian rhythm, um, by really trying to get some good morning, uh, light. So Mm. going outside in the morning with the sunrise, um, we're talking to a bunch of athletes right now. So (laughs) a good way to do that might be to try and exercise in the morning. Mm. Um, you know, when we exercise, uh, late at nighttime, um, exercise tends to increase our body temperature. And we know that you need to decrease your body temperature by about two to three degrees in order to actually fall asleep. Um, that's why you, most people find it easier to fall asleep in a cold room, like a little bit cooler at nighttime um, than a room that's very warm. Um, so try to exercise earlier in the day. Um, give yourself about three to four hours before you are going to go to bed at least um, to try and prevent that um, increased body temperature there. Hmm. Um Another thing is we didn't get into a whole lot with like caffeine and alcohol.
2: Oh yeah. Um,
1: But um, those are two substances that people tend to um, indulge in and um, (laughs) are quite accepted in our, in our social society. Um, However, they're both not great for sleep. Um, You know, when, um, when people uh, take a lot of caffeine, they're tending to do that um, in order to compensate for sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that in, in, in turn, caffeine actually, um, decreases our body's ability to fall into a deep sleep. Um, and so even people who say, oh, I can drink a cup of coffee and go directly to bed, they're still getting less, <laughs> less deep sleep um, than, than someone who is um, not taking in caffeine.
0: Believe me, I lived in Europe, and it's like super espresso, like common. It's the espresso after dinner. Espresso
1: after dinner. And I lived in
0: Spain before I lived in France, and like they would have dinner at like ten or eleven p.m. and Mm -hmm. like a full strength espresso. And I was like, "What the heck? I can't do this. (laughs) No way."
1: And um, so that's from the perspective of our deep sleep. Um, And I would say if you're going to drink. Um, caffeine, which I do, I, I drink yeah. coffee. We're having a, a delicious coffee right now, <laughs> um, but I would say uh, try not to have any caffeine afternoon, mm-hmm. um, and know that um, caffeine has about a six-hour half-life for most people. Um, that does ah. vary a little bit, um, but that means that um, you know, twelve hours after you have your coffee, you still have about a quarter of it left in your system.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so, really trying to utilize that kind of number to say, well. You know, if a cup of coffee has about 80 milligrams of caffeine, um, that means that you have 20 milligrams of caffeine left in your system, usually when you're going to go to bed, um, yeah, if you have yeah. one cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. Um, so, you know, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, the other one, it was uh, alcohol. and <laughs> if, we're, if we're talking about alcohol, um, really, it's the byproducts of alcohol um, that tend to uh, inhibit our sleep. And um, those byproducts are actually some of the biggest suppressants of REM sleep that we have. Um, The other one is actually something that doctors like me prescribe, um, which are SSRIs. Ah. Um, And those medications also tend to inhibit REM sleep.
0: So selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yes. That's right. Thank you
1: for that. Yep. (laughs) Um, And and so those do inhibit REM sleep for Mm. people. Um, Now, alcohol, um, people will say, though, you know, alcohol is a... Um, it's processed in your body over the course of about an hour. Um, but those byproducts will linger around for somewhere between like six to nine hours for people. Um, now that means that really the only good time to drink alcohol is <laughs> with your morning coffee with a little bit of Kahluan and maybe, um, Sweet.
0: New not, Nolan strategy. New Nolan strategy. not that I'm
1: recommending that, but I, what I would say is that if, um, you know, there's really no way to get good sleep with drinking alcohol. Um, and so that being said, uh, I'm not telling you not to drink alcohol, but what I am telling you is that, um, be a little bit selective in that and, um, consider that when you do, um, drink alcohol, know that you're not going to get optimal sleep that night. And in the next day is not going to be an optimal performance for you regardless. Um, mm. so your sleep will not be, um, fantastic. And also um, alcohol has other effects, such as like is a diuretic will cause you to pee out a little bit more. You'll be a little bit dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Um, You get a little bit of a sympathetic rise in the morning. Um, So your heart rate will be higher um, following Uh a night of drinking alcohol. Um, And so those are all things to kind of consider when you're looking at whether or not you should have um, a hard, stressful workout or race um, the day after indulging in alcohol. Um, I guess the final thing that I would say to people is if You are having trouble with sleep. Um, There's two different things that I kind of take into um, account for that. Um, One is the people who have trouble falling asleep. Um, Usually that kind of comes from either a mind racing um, perspective Mm -hmm. where you just, your brain won't shut off. Um, And the strategies I utilize for that for um, patients who I talk to tend to be, um, number one, uh, consider trying to, do a wind down period with all the good sleep hygiene that we've talked about. Um, But uh, number two, um, take a bunch of notes right before you go to bed. When you have that to-do list that's in your head, Hmm. put it down on paper. And even just that act of um, kind of going through and writing a few things down can help release that um, that anxiety a little bit for people. Um, Having a little bit of a mindfulness practice surrounding this um, to help kind of wind down um, can be beneficial. There's two apps that I like, Headspace and Calm, mm. um, both of which have guided meditations and mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, bedtime stories. So, um, <laughs> Ellery, you might like those. Um, they they, they um, essentially have nothing to do with kind of your day-to-day activities and are ways to allow your brain just to kind of creatively wander off cool. and, and fall, um, fall asleep easier that way. Nice. Um, and then um, the other category is really people who – Wake up in the middle of the night. Um, So, people who wake up in the middle of the night and they cannot get back to sleep. And what I would usually tell people then is one, number one, we do not want to associate the bed with um, sleeplessness. Mm. Um, So, well, what I would say is if you're trying to fall asleep for more than 10 minutes, get up and get out of bed. Um, Number two, after you've done that, um, give yourself a little bit of time doing a non stimulating activity. Hmm. Do not look at your phone. Do not watch (laughs) TV. Um, Don't turn on your iPad, Um, but you could pick up a book. Um, Mm. You could um, do, um, you know, do a to-do list. Um, You could write in a journal. And then after you've done that for, you know, probably uh, 10 to 15 minutes, go back and go through your nightly routine again. If you normally brush your teeth before you go to bed, I would encourage you to do that. Um, I would encourage you to, if you normally read before you go to bed, do that in your bed. And then give yourself another 10-minute window of trying to fall asleep. Um, The other thing that you can utilize is um, all of our senses turn off during sleep except for our sense of smell. And so you can actually, people will use aromatherapy at nighttime. Um, And so you can use things like lavender or um, people will drink chamomile tea um, or apply something called lemon balm. And your brain can associate that with sleep if you utilize it purposefully during that time. Hmm. Um, and so you can apply a little bit of lavender to your pillow and that will help you fall back into a state of sleep. So those are all kind of, um, just some short, quick things that people can do to try and get better sleep.
0: Man, this has been, this is like one of my favorite, like (laughs) topics and episodes. It's so awesome talking with you. So thanks so much for taking the time. And well, before we go, I actually do have a little quick Disclaimer: um, This podcast is for general information purposes only. No patient relationship is formed. It's not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any conditions um, of concern. So, with that said, thank you, Teddy.
1: <laughs> Hillary, it was a blast. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for having me.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com podcast. You can find social links and more information from our guests. And you can also subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. You can leave us a rating on iTunes there too. Until next time, hope to see you guys soon.